Sandra, after several years of playing out the arrested adolescent rebellion for which I served as the authoritarian object to be pushed against, returned her craft to a steady course, not much different from the one she pursued before the storm. Marta, though, continued as a kind of pirate ship on the high seas of liberation. Liberation meant to Marta, among other things, the freedom to be fat Even in the days when she was counting calories in order to conform to the ideal of beauty legislated by the male oppressor, Marta was, let us say, zoftig. Now, feminist, she is simply enormous, her own ideal of beauty being, apparently, the Venus of Willendorf, whom she comes, with the addition of blue jeans and large heptagonal blue plastic glasses, more and more to resemble. Brian, by contrast, is not fat at all. Amid the reassembling Congress of Gauls, he seems almost bird-like himself in his red jacket, slender anyway, a little forlorn. My bony jeans will out despite his mother's carbohydrate ministrations. His metabolism, like mine, is swift. His hair, like hers, is almost black and very curly his skin Greek olive, without the patina of oil Marta's exudes. He hails me, and the lifting of his arm startles the flightier gulls into a quick ascent. Do seagulls live in families? he asks as I approach. This certainly looks like a clan gathering. I mean real families, Brian says. You know, a father and mother and kids. Kids are baby goats, Brian. I don't know what they call baby gulls. He punches my arm. Don't be silly. Do they? We could look it up. I think, I tell him, that the concept of the nuclear family is unknown to seagull culture. What's a nuclear family? It glows in the dark and explodes when dropped from high altitudes, I tell him, at the same time ruffling his rough curls. If he were my son, I find myself thinking, his hair would be close-cropped, but he is my son in fact only, not by right, and Marta prefers him cherubic, his maleness disguised and softened. I wish I lived in a real family, Brian says, pressing his slim self closer to me as we walk. Come on, let's run up those dunes and slide down. I grab his hand and pull him along at a gait that makes conversation impossible. We scale the dunes with giant strides, our shoes filling up with sand, and then descend. I take a flying leap for momentum, and Brian follows my lead. At the foot of the dunes, sandy and panting, Brian climbs on my chest, and I hug him tightly. He is only five years old. Want to do it again? I ask him. Want to marry Marta and be my dad? He asks. I press him closer for a moment, then struggle to my feet and toss him, kicking and giggling over my shoulder, carry him all the way home. Brian is asleep in bed. Marta wholly fills, almost obliterates my old nubbly green armchair from view, her swarthy face ashine in the firelight. And I find myself trying to remember if she was this big, this monumental, when Brian was conceived. She reads avidly, Erica Jong's latest, trying to catch the tarnished idol out in heresy. From the way her pen busies itself with marginalia, 
I gather that lapses of doctrine must abound. When she pauses to look into the fire, I pose my question. Does Brian know who his father is? Of course not. What have you told him? He must have asked. I told him, Marta says in her deep though oddly nasal voice, that his father died before he was born. I never asked before, and the news now makes me shiver despite my sweater and the glowing alder flinging sparks across the hearth. Marta's eyes drop to the book spread open on the expansive convexity of her stomach. She considers the subject closed. I don't. He wants us to get married so I can be his father. He proposed to me today. Marta laughs, and it is laughable, I suppose. I have no more desire to marry her than she does to be my or...